Thanks for listening to another engaging message from Praise Assembly's Pastor Alan Bochamp. It's our prayer that God speaks to you through this message. All right, if that's it, then I'm going to ask you all to grab your Bibles this morning. And as my wife walks off the stage, give her a round of applause. Whoever hooted and hollered, that was inappropriate. That's my wife. If you would go ahead and grab your Bibles this morning. Um, if you don't have a Bible here with you today, there are some that are spread out all across the auditorium. Uh, little hardback Bibles that are black. I encourage you to grab one of those. We are big believers in being able to read through the scriptures together during our services. And so if for some reason you didn't bring a Bible with you, grab one of those. And if you do not own a Bible, that is our gift to you. Feel free to take that home with you. Um, we just want to make sure that everybody has the ability to read through this together. So uh, grab one of those Bibles. Once you have it, open it up to the book of Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. It's towards the back-ish. Okay? Towards the back-ish. While you're turning there, I suppose I need to start with an apology. All right? So I'm going to start right up front with an apology. Uh, last week I was just incredibly blessed. We were blessed to have Manny Cordero with us uh, last Sunday, and, and really the entire service was just about building faith in order that the Lord, that we would have faith in the Lord that he could move in our situation as well. And the entire service was kind of designed that way. Um, I was just incredibly blessed by that service, so thankful uh, for his ministry. If you missed it, I encourage you to go back and listen to it online. But, so that was last week, the week before, we had uh, the Freedom Project celebration service, and that was good too. That was, um, that was where we just kind of celebrate all the things that got aside for that, uh, for that purpose, and, and even since then, I've already been getting more reports, other people who said, hey, I wasn't there on the final day in order to turn in our numbers and share how much we had paid off in debt, and it actually, things increased. And so we see God did just some, some amazing things. And so we took some time and just gave glory to him for what he was doing and what he has been doing uh, over that last uh, two and a half months. But as part of that service, uh, ahead of time, I was told, you have 15 minutes to share, not a message, but instead those things that you, um, those things that you took away from it. Which means that the last time that I've preached a message here on Sunday morning is March 4th, three weeks ago. So my apology is I'm about to unload on you guys, okay? So this is three weeks in the making. I'm sorry in advance. Well, sorry, not sorry in advance because this is a good week. This is a good week, and I think it's a good week when, when you're working through a ton of scriptures and you don't have a ton of time to really stop and drill in on each and every one of them, that's a good thing because this is an important week. Because one week from today is Easter Sunday, which means that in the church calendar this week is Holy Week. And this is a week where we should be spending time meditating on and really time really meditating on those scriptures. In fact, if you're a part of a small group on the top of the sheet, there will be scriptures throughout the week for you to meditate on and really think through and pray through and see what the Lord speaks to. Because I'm a big fan of preparing for days like Easter. I've mentioned this in the past, and, and uh, Easter always seems to sneak up on us. Like, we can't grow flowers out there yet. And, um, like, it, just last week, it was super cold, and then all of a sudden it's 
not super cold anymore. It's supposed to dump. I heard somebody say uh, earlier that it's supposed to dump like five inches of rain in the next couple of days. And, and, and on Tuesday this week, I was driving Clara to school. And uh, as we were driving to school, she, uh, I was talking about the fact that it was just so gray out. I don't know if you noticed it was gray out this morning too. Just like, it's so gray. And she said, don't worry, Daddy. Spring starts tomorrow. And I thought, okay, sweetheart, that was pretty good. Because you can't see it yet, right? Like you can see a little couple of blades of grass poking up. And our grass is mostly brown with a little bit of green. And, and yet we know that underneath the, service, that, or underneath the surface there is that power and there's life that is about to just spring forth. And back, and a lot of times it sneaks up on us, but instead to say, oh God, we're gonna prepare our hearts for this week. And so for me, what that looks like is spending time all week long. So I wanna kind of give you a quick overview. If last year you were not a part of our Good Friday service, it was excellent. Because a lot of times we go right from Palm Sunday, celebration, to Easter Sunday, celebration, without stopping right in the middle and paying attention to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and what that means to us. And so last year we decided we were gonna have a Good Friday service and, and it was totally fundamentally different than other things we had done throughout the year. And, and I just, it, a couple things I need to say about that. Number one, if you have kids, nursery and preschool, we're gonna have early childhood development uh, level uh, services during our Good Friday service, but elementary kids were not going to. And the reason why is that we want you to bring them with you into our service. And just so you're confident in this, because this was something I didn't think about until I was a parent of elementary kids, it's not gonna be a gruesome service. Like, we're not gonna walk through what Jesus fully went through. That's not the purpose of it. But it is a time for us to reflect. It's a time for us to pause and um, to allow the Holy Spirit to speak back to us about even those things in our lives that maybe need, you know, um, uh, too much for our kids, I will say it'll be too much for your kids. Like, it'll be just above their level, which I think is good, too. I think it's good for our kids to sometimes know, hey, this faith is multifaceted, and it may be just beyond my grasp, and that's okay. And so that's, that's the way it's designed. It'll be an hour long from 6.30 to 7.30, uh, but it'll be fundamentally different than other things that we do throughout the year. So if you can join us Friday, join us Friday. Be a part of the entire, entire week. Um, to give you just the backbone and kind of where we're going this week leading up to Easter, that's why we're in Colossians today. Um, I'm gonna read a verse in Colossians chapter one, uh, verses 26 and 27. So two verses to kind of set the background, to set the table for us so that you know what we're doing for this uh, whole thing. Colossians chapter one, verse 26 says, the mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So what we're doing is essentially we're taking this verse and we're splitting it into three pieces. Easter is Christ in you and what that means. And Good Friday is gonna be hope specifically and I would even say, take it a step further and say hope in the midst of hopelessness. 
And then today, we're gonna talk about the mystery of Christ, the mystery of Christ. And all of it, all together, when we kind of add it up starting Sunday, then Friday, then next Sunday, we're kind of calling the whole, I guess you can call it a mini-series, we're calling it Hope of Glory, the Hope of Glory. And so today, we're gonna start in Colossians chapter one, uh, verse 26. Again, to kind of, we're gonna read one story today. Before we get to that story, I kind of need to Again, just give you a little bit of background, and we're gonna start in Colossians 1.26 as we talk about the mystery of Christ. Here's again what it says. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul uses the word mystery 21 times in his writings, 21 times. And when he uses it, he uses it in a very specific way. I have a mystery right now that I'm trying to work through. It's an interesting thing that I'm digging into because about three weeks ago, I started noticing something changing in my house. Every morning I would get up and get ready and go to work and I would go to my closet and I would pull out my jacket, my coat and head off to work. And every morning when I would go to my closet to grab my jacket or my coat, I would have one less coat than I did the day before. And I asked Liz, have you been putting my coats away like it's spring and these are spring jackets and she said nope I thought my kids must be playing a practical joke on me and hiding my jackets away or I asked them and they said no so I went and checked the hall closet and they're not in there and so I just keep going at it and every day I have one last coat than the day before and simultaneous with this mystery there's another mystery and that is Here at the church, in my office, every day I have one less hanger on my coat rack, and I have yet to figure out what's going on there, either. There is two mysteries that I'm like, what is going on? Okay, when Paul talks about a mystery, he's not saying like a whodunit, kind of what's this mystery. He's saying there was something that was hidden away And now it's been revealed. For years, for generations, this was something that we did not know and we did not see. But now, as you see a little bit more of the revelation, you can kind of put together, aha, now I see what you're doing. So it's not a whodunit, it's like a, whoa, okay, so I see how all those things connect. And so he mentions the mystery and he refers to it sometimes mystery of godliness, sometimes mystery of Christ. Here, Christ in you. And he calls, 21 times he uses that word. There's another verse that I want to share with you today that kind of ties a few of these things together as well. It's back in Deuteronomy. You don't need to turn there. It'll be up on the screen. But in Deuteronomy 29, verse 29, it says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all of the words of this law. God did not kick off Genesis chapter one, verse one with, 
All right, let me tell you what this is gonna look like and just lay it all out up front. He didn't say, here's what history is going to, how it's gonna play out perfectly. He doesn't, he doesn't tell us up front what it's gonna look like, but instead there is this growing progression of revelation, of, of understanding of what it's gonna look like, and it all kind of points to Christ, and it builds into Christ, and then Christ comes, started as a secret thing of God, and for generations it was a secret thing of God, but now we know more about it, and we understand more about it, and that's what he refers to when he refers to a mystery. And in Colossians, who does he say that mystery is revealed to? Colossians 1.26. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known. He reveals this to those who put their faith in him. And let me just say right up front, Faith always comes first, always. You know, Jesus' disciples one point came to him and said, why, why do you speak in parables? And we think Jesus told stories in order to illustrate points, but then Jesus responds and says, here's why I tell stories. It's so that those who do not know won't know. But for those of you who are close to me, those of you who put your faith in me so that you will understand, so faith always comes first. And then as faith comes, then he reveals. He says, to his saints it has been revealed. To them God chose to make known. Okay, so that's the starting place. Now I want to read a story. Bibles to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19 today. I'm pretty sure I'd lose my papers if I made it through Palm Sunday without reading the story of the triumphal entry of Jesus, okay, into Jerusalem. So we're on Luke chapter 19, and we're gonna start in verse 28. Luke chapter 19, verse 28. Here's what it says. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And when he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, and while on entering, where on entering, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it, you shall say this, the Lord has need of it. Verse 32. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. Verse 33, and as they were untying the colt, its, answer, or its owners said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. In verse 35, and they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. Okay, this is the only time that Jesus is walking, like even in utero. If what I'm seeing in scripture is it never says that Jesus rode a donkey, donkey from one place to another. This is it. Which means that he hasn't just fundamentally changed the way he goes about the travel, right? He's saying something very specific. He's pointing to something very deliberately. And if you've, if you've ever been in a church on Palm Sunday, you kind of know what he's pointing back to. He's referring back to a prophecy that was given 550 years before by a prophet named Zechariah. In Zechariah chapter 9, Verses 9 and 10, here's what it says. 
Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. So very clearly here what he is pointing out is the fact that, I mean, this is a messianic verse, right? This is a verse that points to him 550 years before and so when he decides that he's gonna have this donkey and ride it into Jerusalem, he is very deliberately pointing at Zechariah chapter nine, verses nine. He's coming humble. He's not coming conquering, but instead he's coming with peace. He's gonna cut off the chariot from a frame and the war horse and the battle bow shall be broke, cut off and he shall speak peace. So he's coming offering peace. Okay, so this is what he is very deliberately trying to communicate. There's no doubt about the fact that Jesus knows exactly what he's doing, that he is pointing to Zechariah chapter nine, and at least to some degree the people understand as well. Flip back to Luke chapter 19, here's how they respond. And they said, the Lord will, blah, 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 verse 36, and as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road, as he was drawing near, Already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now all four of the gospel writers record this story. Matthew in chapter 21, verses one through 17, in Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11, here in, in Luke chapter 19, 28 through 44, and John chapter 12, verses 12 through 19. All four of the gospel writers record this. And they all kind of hit the, But you see then who it is, you start with kind of like who it is that is actually doing this celebrating. In Luke, it refers to them as his disciples, the whole multitude of his disciples. So this isn't just the, the, the 12 disciples. This is like a group of people who have put their faith in him. And Matthew and Mark, it refers to them as the crowd who come in ahead of and the crowd that comes in behind, okay? So it's probably people who are traveling on their way to Jerusalem, uh, pilgrims on their way for for Passover, this is people who are all kind of around and they just begin to celebrate and to, to worship Jesus, right? Um, John is very clear, he points out that it is pilgrims, but that even not only is it people who are on the road, he says that pilgrims who had already arrived in Jerusalem actually come out as Jesus is on his way in and they meet him and they celebrate as well. So you kind of see this full-fledged picture, but the people who are celebrating are the people who already to some degree, have their faith in him, right? It calls them his disciples here. This is people who have said, at least to some degree, a measure of faith is put in Jesus as someone who is more than just another guy, right? And you see that because of the fact that if you back up and point to another verse that they're actually quoting here is Psalm 118, verse 25. Uh, Psalm 118 Verse 25 
says, and this is what they're, they're pulling back to as they're worshiping him. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. So this is another messianic verse, and it says, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. So at least to some degree, they are calling on this messianic vision. So Jesus is very clearly pointing to it, and they, to some degree, put their faith in Jesus, some measure of faith in him, and they respond by praising God. Those who are kind of around him at that time, his disciples, and this multitude, and then also those who were in Jerusalem, they either hear it or something, and they come out, but it's all pilgrims. Nowhere does it say that anybody who lived in Jerusalem participated. It's all the pilgrims who were kind of coming in for Passover, at least that's what we see in Scripture. And it says the reason why they put their faith in Jesus, too. Back to Luke, skip back to Luke, and and the verse we just read, it says, and as he was drawing near, uh, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God, uh, praise God with a loud voice, what? For all the mighty works that they had seen. So the reason why they're praising Jesus is that they've seen some miracles. And John actually points out in his gospel that there was one miracle in particular that they saw that made these people go, okay, um, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The miracle was the raising of Lazarus from the dead. That when that happened, they saw it and they talked to other people and, and all of these people around then just began to praise him in that way. Why? Again, because of these miracles. And they don't fully understand what's going on, but at least they grasp a little bit of it. We know that because of even the Pharisees' response. Very clearly, apparently they knew Zechariah well enough to point out that this is something messianic. And this verse in Psalm 118 was enough messianic that the Pharisees said, whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, Some people who were in the crowd said, wait, slow down. Here's what it says in Luke chapter 19, verse 39. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Now, these Pharisees, they kind of get it. They kind of get it, right? Like, they get, okay, this is, whoa, this is is messianic. They're saying that you're the one who's coming in the name of the Lord. They're saying you're the king. You better rebuke them. So they get it, but they don't get it. Jesus gets it. Because he says, whoa, whoa, whoa. I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Now, we think sometimes that Jesus just said this like a big ooh-rah-rah moment, right? Like, now we can write some worship songs about this. Or, or when we get ready to worship, the worship leader can get up front and say, now listen, if you're not singing, those stones themselves will cry out. But this is so much bigger than that. When Jesus says, if all of these people remain silent, the Lord will raise up stones to cry out instead. He is pointing to the fact that this moment has been ordained. On Wednesday night, we're doing this study on Nehemiah, and 
we're studying about how this declaration to build the temple and build the Jerusalem was, went out. And one of the things that came up this last week, Steve Kersulovich shared, and I wish you would have been here, but he could let us rise up and build. Because from the moment that the, the declaration goes out to rebuild Jerusalem, a timer is started. Because this might have been 450, 460 years before Jesus was born, but another 150 years before that, Daniel had prophesied. In Daniel chapter nine, verses 24 and following, here's what it says. 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit and to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat but in a troubled time. And after 62 weeks an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. So what all of this is saying is that the moment that that building started or the declaration went out, there's a timer that's counting down to this moment that we find in Luke chapter 19, Jesus arriving in Jerusalem and what happens after that. So when Jesus says, if you want these people to be silent, the Lord will rise up rocks instead and they will sing. He is saying to them, this moment was ordained before any of you came into being. And if, he, if everybody were to make the act of will, I'm not participating, it does not matter. God has ordained that this is happening. And this is the countdown, friends. We're here. This is the time. This is when it happens. And regardless of whether you want it to or not, this is happening. So he gets it, of course. He's Jesus. But those Pharisees are like, okay, you're, you're, boy, you're messianic Jesus, you really should get them to stop. And he's looking at them saying, don't you get it? This is it. This is the moment the king is coming into Jerusalem. This is a big deal. And they miss it still. Okay, let's keep reading the story in Luke chapter 19. Verse 41. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden. When I first moved to Springfield, Missouri and came to Praise Assembly, the reason why I came was in order to be a part of that discipleship program. Some of you know what it is, Master's Commission. And uh, for me, I had just accepted Christ and I moved to Springfield and was just following what I believed was the Lord's direction in my life and so I came to praise and, I mean, legitimately had been saved for four months, came to praise and have been here ever since. But that time, the idea behind Master's Commission is that you take a year of your life at least and kind of set it aside for really growing in Christ and it's called the discipleship program, being discipled, right? So setting aside time for the sake of God working in our lives and, 
And it was super formational for me, incredibly formational for me. And one of the things that was so formational about it was uh, the, the, the scripture memorization. So every week, as part of Master's Commission, you were supposed to memorize either 10 or 12 verses. Whichever one it was, that's the, how many I did, okay? So um, 10 or 12 verses, and I can't remember exactly what it was, but every week you'd memorize these verses. And still to this day, by the way, the Holy Spirit will bring back some of those verses to remembrance throughout my day, throughout my week. Um, uh, incredibly profitable memorizing, memorizing scripture. And uh, yet they would memorize the scripture address. You could, you know, like John 1, 4, or whatever, and memorize the scripture, but they understood that it was about more than that, just the scripture address. It was about the, the purpose and the theme of that verse. And so you would get two Cheat words is what we call them. Two words from the verse you could you remember, okay, so those two words, this is the verse that I'm memorizing. And everybody knew that there were times when things got busy in master's commission, and so what you would do is you would save the short verses for those busy times. And everybody knew that the best verse to use was the shortest verse, John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. I love that verse. Um, Jesus wept, I remember. Yeah, got it down. I've got it memorized still to this day. <laughs> John chapter 11, verse 35, the reason why Jesus is weeping is because of the fact that Lazarus had passed away. And there's a lot of reasons that people think that Jesus was specifically weeping, knowing that he was about to raise him from the dead, but we don't know exactly what those reasons were. It also says in Hebrews chapter five, verse seven, that Jesus wept, and there it says that he was weeping in the Garden of Gethsemane. When he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, it doesn't actually say he wept in the Gospels. It says that I always kind of assumed he was crying as he was praying and crying out to God, and, uh, and yet in Hebrews 5, 7, it says that he was actually weeping while he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And then in Luke chapter 19, it says here that also that Jesus was weeping. The only, the third time and the third of three that it actually says Jesus wept. There are other places in scripture, Matthew chapter 23, Luke chapter 13, which we're gonna read in a bit, that say that Jesus lamented, but it doesn't say that he was actually weeping, crying. But here it says that he did weep. And the thing that causes him to weep, it says, is when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. The things that make for peace. That's a very interesting phrase. The things that make for peace. It's only used one other place in scripture. Those exact words, that exact structure, it's only one place in scripture. It's actually two pages to the left in Luke chapter 14. So if you would flip over there with me. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus is giving a parable, a parable on the cost of discipleship. And he actually gives a couple parables there on that, and the first one he says is, you need to make sure you're counting the cost of discipleship before you say, I'm, I'm gonna follow you, Jesus. And so he uses the, uh, the illustration of a, a man who is getting ready to build a tower, and he says before he builds the tower, he sits down and he figures out if he actually has the money in order to build the tower. And if he doesn't, he goes, oh, I guess I better not build that tower, and if he does, then he gets started, right? 
Then he gives another illustration in Luke chapter 14, verse 31. He says, or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. And those words, terms of peace, are exactly the same words that are used in Luke chapter 19. Exact same structure, and it's the only other place in Scripture that that happens. Terms of peace. And the picture here is of a king, he says, who realizes, okay, I've got 10,000 guys, and you've got 20,000 guys, and boy, my 10,000 aren't going to get the job done, so I'm not going to try to stand against you. Here's instead what I'm going to do. I'm going to come to you and I'm going to ask, what are the terms of peace that you will offer me? And if you give me good terms of peace, then I'll accept those terms of peace and then I won't have to fight against you, okay? So the illustration or the picture here of Jesus arriving into Jerusalem, he's coming as a king, but he's not coming as a conquering king. He is coming to a city which is rebellious and against him, whose hearts are turned away from him. But he is a king who is coming and offering terms of peace. And he says, you're missing the terms of peace that I am bringing. Now let's be clear, peace is offered, but it is on his terms. What are those terms? Well, if you're in Luke chapter 14, turn one more page to the left. In Luke chapter 13, we have the terms of peace that Jesus came offering. It's in one of those laments over Jerusalem. Jerusalem 13, verse 34 says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. The terms of peace that Jesus brings as he comes into Jerusalem to a rebellious city saying, here's my terms, are let me gather you under my wings, but you must be willing. You must be willing. And the reason why Jesus weeps in Luke chapter 19 is that as he's approaching Jerusalem, bringing these terms, it says, you, I wish you had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. You've messed it. Then he continues on, and he says, Verse 43, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and you will not leave, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. You missed the coming of the king. And as a result... Now you have destruction. And then he continues into Jerusalem, and we know that according to the different accounts of 
what happens there is after this grand triumphal entry, as the people are cheering, as Jesus is crying, he doesn't drive the Romans out. He doesn't even go into the temple and clear it yet. That happens the next day, right? He goes, he comes in, he looks, it says he goes in, he looks around, and then he leaves. He doesn't even give a, a rousing speech. Jesus just walks into Jerusalem after this grand triumphal entry that is the fulfillment of Zechariah 9, 9 through 10, the countdown that began in Daniel chapter 9, and he doesn't do anything. And I wonder, what must have everybody thought at the time? Because, boy, that doesn't make any sense. I even wonder, what must Zechariah have thought as he was watching in heaven? Or Daniel have thought, or Nehemiah, or all these guys who are waiting for this moment, and they're like, wait, what? Did, did he just walk right back out? That makes no sense. Totally anticlimactic. This doesn't fit with what we're expecting Jesus to actually do. There are many things I do not understand about God. I do not understand how God can be three and yet one, as it says in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. I don't understand how that works. If not hundreds of billions of galaxies and trillions of stars and even more planets just by the power of his word, as it says in Hebrews chapter one, verse three. I don't know how that works. I don't know how he can take the past, the present, and the future of billions of people all over the earth in their own free will and somehow work those things together for good, as it says in Romans chapter eight, verse 28. I don't know how he's working all of these things to a climactic moment in Philippians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, where it says, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess on heaven and earth that he is Lord. I don't know how that all works. I don't know even how or why some people are not healed while other people are. Or why some people are delivered and other people are not. I don't understand God's perfect timing. See, sometimes to me it makes a whole lot more sense for certain things to be done a certain way. And there's a lot of things I don't get. But there are some things I do know too. I know that Jesus Christ came as a king, as it says in Luke chapter 19. And I know he came with an offer of peace terms are his and his alone. And most of all, I know through experience, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, that I have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And while there are many things that I do not understand, the more that I recognize that there are things that are beyond my comprehension, I always, always, always want my response to be the same. When there is something I don't get, something that does not match my expectations, something that doesn't follow the pattern that I think is the pattern, that I want to go closer and closer 
and closer to Christ. Because the verse we started with in Colossians chapter 1, verses 26 and 27 is followed just a couple verses later by Colossians chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, which says, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom. Stand his actions all the time. May my response always be to grow closer and closer to him in order that I might understand his character more. If we cannot understand his actions, let us seek more and more to know his character. Because as we grow in understanding who God is and what Christ is like, and very clearly we know that Christ is the, in, the visible manifestation of the invisible. Like we know that. We know he is the visible. We get that. But while I don't understand always the actions, may I always cling to the character. I think it's so interesting that while they were cheering Jesus, he was weeping. Does that at all interest you or catch your attention? He's riding into Jerusalem and they're cheering him. It's the fulfillment of prophecy. And if they had been quiet, the stones themselves would have cried out. But boy, it should have been an indication that something wasn't going to go the way they thought it was going to go when they're cheering and Jesus is weeping. Sometimes we on earth are cheering and Jesus is in heaven looking at us and he's weeping. And I think there are times when we're here on earth and we're weeping and Jesus is in heaven and he's cheering us on. He's like, yes, finally you're there. So when we don't understand, may we grow closer and closer and closer to him so that as we understand his character and what he's like, May we not, even if we don't understand the exact circumstances, that we will be tight and our heart will be made more and more like his. Because the promise is that Christ in you is the hope of glory. May we grow closer and closer to him. And even as maybe our expectations are stripped away, Maybe as some of those things that we thought was going to be a certain way get stripped away. May our response always be, may I come closer to Christ. Here in a bit, I want to pray. And as we do kind of setting up this week, I, I really do just want to again encourage you this week to just allow the story of that holy week, that final week, and what Jesus Christ accomplished for us. I just want to encourage you again to spend time reading that in preparation for next Sunday. Because sometimes I think we miss the celebration because we haven't paused and prepared. And 
then along with that, let me just say, I am convinced of the fact that faith always comes first. If you look at the story of Jesus and you're like, boy, that makes absolutely no sense to me. Let me just ask you, have you put your faith in him? Because until you do, friends, you're not gonna get it. It's gonna be like you've got blinders in front of your eyes. You won't get it until faith comes first. And what it's gonna take is not emotion, because this crowd was emotional. They were moved emotionally by the miracles. They were moved emotionally by Lazarus being raised from the dead. But Jesus said when it came down to it, he wanted to gather them and they were not willing. And so what it comes down to is an act of will. Say, oh Jesus, I am yours. I put my faith and my trust and my hope in you. And that is so much more. And it begins a journey, the only journey that results and leads to salvation. And it's the only journey on, along which you will have Jesus Christ right along your side and walking that path with you. So it starts with faith. Put your faith in him. I'm gonna invite you to stand with me. And we're gonna pray. And we're gonna ask and give you an opportunity to put your faith and your trust in him first and foremost. And then I just wanna pray over our week, that this would be a week wherein we grow closer and closer to Christ. Father, I do just come to you right now as one who you came to as a king, offering terms of peace. Oh Lord, I was rebellious. Oh Lord, my heart was far, 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 far from you. And yet you came with terms of peace. And those terms of peace were, be willing. Allow me to gather you. And Father, right now that same call goes out. That same offer goes out. And Father, I pray that no one in this room right now would miss their opportunity, their visitation from the Lord. This chance to respond in faith. So right now, as that call goes out, I pray your spirit would be working on hearts, and if there's anybody in here right now who has not accepted you and that offer and said, I am willing, gather me. I'm willing, I, I offer this act of will. I say, today is the day I, I hand it over to you. I wanna begin, I wanna start, I wanna, I wanna walk along with you. I, I, I hand my, this is all yours, oh God. I pray right now that you would just help them to make that act of faith, to speak it out, even as I'm praying, just that they would say, today is the day I put my faith in you, Jesus. First and foremost, my faith is in you. I'm willing, gather me, oh God. And Father, I pray for this week. I just ask right now in the name of Jesus that you would, by your spirit, be moving among us this week and preparing our hearts for the celebration of next Sunday. May we get and grasp what Jesus did and accomplished for us. It was hidden and now it is revealed. We see that. But God, I just pray that as that is revealed to us, your spirit would be working in us all week long. And Father, I do pray for anybody who's in the sound of my voice right now, in this room right now, who struggles with, why is this the way it is? Why hasn't this healing come? Why hasn't this deliverance come? Why is this timing the way that it is, oh God? 
and pushing away, O oh Lord, that they would draw closer and closer to you. And the less they understand, the closer they would cling to you, O oh God. May their heart grow more in the image of Jesus Christ. And in all of it, O oh God, I just pray that you would revolutionize our lives and work in us. And if we do not understand, may our hearts become more like yours. And may we cry when you cry. And may we cheer when you cheer. And in all of this, oh God, may we be made more and more in your image, I pray. All for your glory. In the name of Jesus. Amen. In a moment, I'm going to dismiss. And when I do, if you're in here and you just put that act of faith, that will to say, I put my faith in Jesus Christ. I'm just gonna ask that as others step out and head out the doors, that you would just step out and come down to the front and just share that with one of these people who are up here at the front uh, getting ready to pray uh, with you. They just wanna pray with you and encourage you and kind of talk about those next steps. If you're in here and maybe you just need prayer for something, maybe you're in here and that's right where you're at. You don't get it. And you just want to run to Jesus and you just want to spend time with him and you just want to grow because there's something that you don't get and it's just been a, a hindrance for you and you need to put, and as we dismiss, I would just encourage you to do that. This prayer team has offered already and they've said they will just not only pray with you right now but be praying throughout this week for you to make that commitment. And so this is a good opportunity for you to do that. As we begin Holy Week, my encouragement is don't waste this week. Take this week in order to prepare for Easter Sunday. God bless you as you go. If you need prayer for anything, feel free to come. God bless. We'll see you Friday, Wednesday, and then Friday. We'll see you then. Thank you for listening. Join us Sundays at 10 a.m. for worship and a message. You belong at Praise. Praise.